Hi, I am Martin, and this is Words That Change You. Words fly all around us. Kind words, silly words, angry words. And they do so all day long. But how often does something written or spoken really feed our souls? Wouldn't it be nice if beyond the noise we could listen to words that make a difference? Words that change us. In Words That Change You, we'll examine words, events, concepts that have impacted us lately and see whether we could not glean some nuggets of wisdom to feed on and some tools that apply that for our lives. Tune in and be surprised. Work and play. I am a member of a gym which I visit almost every day. It is common among the men to make small talk in the locker room, even with people they hardly know or know only by sight. The other day, when I worded the typical greeting, how is it going to one patron? His reply surprised me. Pretty good for a Wednesday. The implication was, I believe, that days get increasingly better as one approaches the weekend. This is also the underlying premise for naming a chain of U.S. restaurants TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Work, according to this way of thinking, is a necessary evil and the real life begins Friday night. I have a coffee mug with the following saying written on the side. Love what you do, do what you love. This is, of course, a completely opposite way of thinking. It assumes that work should be fun rather than a burden. To quote a more intellectual source, the historian Arnold Toynbee, the supreme accomplishment is to blur the line between work and play, end of quote. So which of the two is it? Work as slavery or work as fun and play? Since this is only an eight minute podcast and I'm not a philosopher, my answer will inevitably be somewhat limited. Still, allow me to consider this topic, albeit only briefly and therefore somewhat superficially. In just about any society, once man came out of the cave and began to build a civilization, there were the haves and the have-nots. For example, it is said that the Egyptian pyramids were built by the pharaohs, but the truth is that they were built by the pharaoh's slaves. Just about any country in the Middle Ages was governed by monarchs and their courts, who, in turn, relied on some sort of tax on farmers and craftsmen to finance their lives of leisure. And since the Industrial Revolution, factory workers produce goods which, most of the time, they cannot afford, but which are sold to those financially more at ease than them. In other words, social classes have always existed. And the further down the scale you went, the less desirable work became. This was compounded once industrial work and later assembly lines became available, thus sparking, among other things, Marxism and similarly revolutionary philosophies. When you Google quotes about work, you come up with sayings like the following. Work is love made visible, 
and if you cannot work with love, but only with distaste, it is better that you should leave your work and sit at the gate of the temple and take alms of those who work with joy. Khalid Gibran. Or, I think the person who takes a job in order to live, that is to say for the money, has turned himself into a slave. Joseph Campbell. Or, witty as always, work is the curse of the drinking classes. Oscar Wilde. Not surprisingly, all those quotes are by people whose work was, most of the time, intellectual and therefore almost by definition not mind-numbing. Is it the case, therefore, that the upper classes do no work at all, or at least intellectually stimulating work, while the lower classes labor in inhumane conditions, and therefore people like me and most of my listeners cannot really speak about work since we don't know what real work is like? The French philosopher of the last century, Simone Weil, is probably one of the more profound thinkers when it comes to work. She lived through the depth of the Great Depression and, after teaching philosophy at a French high school, she decided to work in a factory producing electric parts for trains. There she witnessed firsthand labor which was both backbreaking and mindless. While in her early days Weil had communist leanings, her conclusion from her time in the factory was a different one. In her view, such work was not labor at all, but the humanizing, in part because the machine was over the person rather than the other way around. In her writings, therefore, she stressed the need for a, quote, craftsmanship revival, end of quote, which could, in her opinion, transform even factory labor into fulfilling work. In order to understand such a conclusion, one needs to go back to the history of artisans and craftsmen. As cities emerged, so did the concept of division of labor. Instead of a person farming his own field, making his own clothes, and himself fixing his cart, there were now farmers, tailors, cobblers, and mechanics. Such change brought with it a set of advantages. One could specialize in one trade in particular, thus becoming better and more efficient at it. With it came also a certain pride in one's work, leading to craftsmen producing so-called masterpieces once they completed the training in their trade. Without being too idyllic about the life of medieval workers, that state of affair was very different from modern industrial production as it allowed for dignity and enjoyment at work. And according to Weil, this is really the only kind of labor worthy of that name. We have strayed far from the notion of TGIF. In the process, we have seen that, at least theoretically, there do not need to be only two extremes, backbreaking industrial work on the one side and complete leisure on the other. There can be work which has dignity and is satisfying for those who perform it. Surely we all know people who don't simply work because they have to feed themselves or their families, but to actually enjoy their work, even too much sometimes. The difference between them and my gym acquaintance seems to be, at least in part, a matter of attitude. How do I approach my current occupation? Is it with boredom and frustration, or with a certain gusto and gratitude? And if I really don't find enjoyment in my present work, might it be that I'm not quite in the right place, and that I should actually 
have the courage to look for another job or even another career. I have a friend who, after graduating from university and working in a particular field, grew in her conviction that she should in fact be a doctor. And so, even though she was married and had three kids, she decided to go back to medical school. Thankfully, her husband supported her decision, since such a move required a lot of rearranging. But now that she's a doctor, she constantly surprises me by the enthusiasm with which she speaks about her work. Many years I was struck by a quote from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, which somewhat illustrates that point. She was a doctor and became famous because of her studies of people who were close to death. In the course of her research, she encountered people who had many regrets, including regrets about the work they did all their lives. Hence her quote, raise your hands if you enjoy your job. Now, those of you who did not raise your hands, Go and tomorrow quit your jobs. Life is too short to do something you don't believe in. Therefore, the first exercise I would suggest in closing is to spend some time thinking about your current occupation. What is it about it that I really enjoy? And am I expressing my gratitude about those aspects of my work? to myself, my family, my co-workers, my employees? Or do I mainly complain about it? According to the principle that expressing gratitude increases gratitude, we might find that our enjoyment of work might actually increase. And do I show sufficient or even any gratitude toward those people who indeed do my numbing or backbreaking work? I've made it a habit during my airline travels to thank the people who work at the security checks. Too often have I seen travelers complain and mouth off because the attendant has to open their bags to make sure that nothing dangerous is found in it. The other week, I turned to one of those security guards and said, thanks for doing this. It makes me feel a lot safer. Her reply with tears in her eyes, oh wow, I have not heard this in months, if not years. You might not always bring tears to their eyes when you thank cleaning staff at the hospital, Amazon delivery workers, or people digging up your street, but I bet they will feel a sense of gratitude. This was Words That Change You with me, Martin Steinbreitner. It was produced by Fritz Lowy, Pirushka Kacha, Harry Kalef, and Jacob Dubibert. If you like this episode, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from. Also feel free to leave us feedback or questions on Facebook under Einstein Podcasts. Until next time.